wants Christmas not to come. How about that? How many of you remember as a child watching The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, right? She got it on her DVR. Awesome. Well, I know Connie watches it every uh, year, and uh, we're going to turn our house lights up so you can see your Bibles. And if, while you're getting your Bibles out, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 and Luke chapter 2 this morning. Genesis chapter 3 and Luke chapter 2. The Grinch Who Stole Christmas actually came out. Um, it was on the air December 18th, 1966. So it is 56 years old. It, uh, was, it was, came out the same year I was born. And so it's an old man now, isn't it? Um, we're going to talk about what it means to be a Grinch in just a moment, but I want to remind you that we have been looking at some of the words that are associated with the Advent season. Of course, we've talked about hope, and we talked about peace last week, and today we're going to talk about joy, and what does that joy look like? Jesus, when he entered this earth, he brought joy. He is joy, and you can only have true joy in this life, if and when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. That really could be my whole message right there, yes? That if you want to have joy in your life, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that kind of goes along with my thesis statement this morning. Usually when I do a thesis statement, I don't say it out loud, but I want to make it very obvious this morning what my thesis statement is. We are all born Grinches, separated from God. Every single one of us, we are born Grinches, separated from God. Now, Dr. Seuss, you know, his thoughts on why the Grinch was the way that he was is maybe because his shoes were too tight or his heart were too, was two sizes too small. I'm not sure if that is really the reason that the Grinch had no joy in his life. But you could tell that the Grinch has no joy. There, there was not a peace or hope or joy in the Grinch's life. I would posit to say that the Grinch was who he was because he was in pain. He was hurting. He held on to the past. He had no joy because he holds on to those pains and those hurts from other people. He has no joy because he has broken relationships in his life. He has no joy because he hasn't experienced forgiveness and maybe there are some of you here this morning that you too, you come into this place and you have no joy. And you're holding on to those pains of the past. You're holding on to that broken relationship, that person you hold a grudge against that broke your heart. Or you, you are suffering with bitterness and unforgiveness this morning. And there is absolutely no joy in your life. You know, in life, we all face difficult circumstances, do we not? We have challenges at work. We have challenges in our schools. We all know people who are hard to get along with. We, we experience stress and pains and problems and disappointments. And, and it's so easy to complain. It's so easy to be bitter. It's so easy to gripe and offer no solutions. It's easy to become negative and discouraged. There was no room in Grinch's heart 
for joy because he had carried all the pain from his past with him. I wonder if there's someone in this room or listening online even now that is carrying some hurt, some pain, some broken relationship with them even now. And here's the thing. Even if you're not, if we're not careful, we can so easily become the Grinch, can we not? And hold on to those pains and those hurts in our lives. We weren't meant to go through life depressed or discouraged. We were created to have joy. Did you know that? We were created to even enjoy this life that we're in now. Now, we cannot control what happens on the outside of us, but we can control our choices. We can control how we deal with things as they get bombarded into our lives. You know, there is a big difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is something that happens on the outside. Joy is something that comes from the inside. We can say that we're happy, oh, because I got the day off, I'm happy. Or my child made an A in math, I'm happy. Or I got a promotion, I'm happy. Or I got the exact present I want and I'm happy. You see, those are all things that happen to us that, that come from the outside in. But when you have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have joy because it happens from the inside out. Joy is different. Joy comes from knowing Jesus. Uh, it doesn't come by what happens around us. The joy of knowing Jesus comes from what is going on inside of us because we have God himself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, living within us. The Grinch takes away all the food and all the toys from the good who's of Whoville, and yet, in this effort to steal everything that they had, he could not steal their Christmas joy. He actually failed. Where did the who's joy come from? I mean, after all, the Grinch took their presents, their tags, their bows, their, their uh, decorations, their food. Where did the who's joy come from? Well, I'm not sure Dr. J Seuss actually tells us that. I mean, he's talking about consumerism there and it, that joy doesn't come from the presents that we receive or what you have under the tree right now. But I'm not sure that Dr. Seuss even really gets to the point. Nor do I think the Grinch discovered joy because his heart grew three sizes that day. But I do know that if you are looking for joy this morning, if their joy is missing from your life, I know in the midst of the busyness and the decorations and the parties and the family and all of the things that are going on in your life today, in the midst of all of that, you have to look no further than Jesus. That's where our joy comes from. Christmas joy is God becoming a human in the person of Jesus Christ. That is Christmas joy. Jesus' first advent brought joy. In the grand scheme of things, we were all Grinches born separated from God. We are all in need of restoration. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter three, he says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. 
Do you understand what Paul is telling us? He is telling us, he's looking us face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and he says there is no one innocent, not even you, not even that newborn babe that you can hold in your hands. No one is innocent before God. Everyone has sinned. All stand in need of forgiveness and restoration and redemption. All of us, we all stand Grinches before God. We're born that way. We're born hurt and angry and bitter and sinful and enemies of God. And we all need redemption. We all need forgiveness. Look at verse 11, what it says right there. He says, no one understands, and look at this part, no one seeks for God. See, it's not you or I who seeks after God, but it's the other way around. God is seeking you. That should bring you joy in and of itself. I don't care how many people say that I go to a seeker church or I am seeking after God. Listen, it is not true. God is seeking after you. The only reason you're looking for God is because he first started coming after you. Do you realize that? God loves you so much that he is seeking after you. And you and I are not good enough to get to heaven on our own. We have fallen because of sin. But God. Can I tell you, those are my two favorite words in all of scripture, but God. But God, let it sink in, but God. While we are in our sin, God seeks after us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God saw us, so what did he do? He became one of us so that we could understand him, so that we could get to know him, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that he could be our example and our, our savior. That alone should bring us joy this morning. We are all a bunch of Grinches who need to be restored, but God, in our sin, God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet still sinners. Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins. Now I want you to turn over to Genesis 3. You got Genesis 3 out? Let's talk about sin for a moment. In Genesis 1 and 2, we all know the creation story and how God created the earth in six days and the rest of it and how he created the cream of the crop, his greatest creation, Adam and Eve, and he has set them apart from every other uh, portion of creation because he has created them, us, in his image. And then we get to chapter three. Adam and Eve are living in a perfect place. They have a perfect relationship with God. Everything is perfect. And then sin enters the world. That old serpent to Satan, he comes up to Eve and he says, did God really? And what does, Satan, what does Eve do? He, she has this conversation. And after this conversation, she gives in to the temptation and she disobeys and she breaks the relationship. And she handed the fruit to her husband and he too broke the relationship. He broke and he became disobedient to God. And we see that they are broken, that they are filled with shame and sin and guilt. And what does Adam and Eve do? They go and find these fig leaves and they try to hide from God. 
And I wonder how many of us in this room, when we are filled with sin and guilt and shame, that we too go and try to find the fig leaf to cover it up. We try to find this man-made thing that can hide us and shield us from God because we don't want God and his uh, holiness and his righteousness and his justice to look down on our sin and our shame and our guilt. And so we try to cover it up with works or we try to cover it up with good deeds. And listen, we cannot do that. When we come to God, we have to come naked before him. And you see what happens in Genesis 3. It's all about God's judgment when they disobeyed. But when you get down to verse 21, it all changes. It all becomes different. We see God restoring. We see God forgiving. We see God healing. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And you go, what is the big deal about that? Well, we don't have, I don't have time to explain this. So if you want the answer, I'll, I'll tell you later. But you can see that Adam's act of faith, Adam became faithful to God again in verse 20 because he did what God told him to do. So Adam's act of faith in verse 20, what does it do? It immediately brings God's intervention by covering them with these animal skin. So God brings protection. God brings covering to cover their shame. God restores his relationship with them. God does it all. They do nothing but sin and turn their back, and then God does everything. This is a picture, it's a foreshadowing of the tabernacle to come when Moses comes and the tabernacle is in. In the Mosaic law, the skin of an animal was, um, that was offered for sin or guilt atonement was reserved for the priest. In uh, Leviticus 7, 8, it says, and the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. God himself provided this garment of skin to Adam and Eve. So where did the skin come from? Well, evidently, is implied that there must have been some sort of a sacrifice. A sacrifice had taken place of the sin and the shame and the guilt of Adam and Eve. And who performed this sacrifice? None other than God himself. So we see here with Adam and Eve, the very first sin on this earth, God himself rescued them by providing a sacrifice, by bringing them protection, by covering their sin and their shame, by restoring their relationship with him. And if you jump over to Leviticus chapter 16, it tells us that the only way that we can have a relationship with God, the only way that our relationship with God can be restored is by the shedding of the blood. And so God, right there in the middle of the garden, he slain an animal, he sacrificed that animal, he took the skin of that animal, he covered Adam and Eve, he protected them, he watched over them, he forgave them, he healed them, he restored their relationship. And in the same way, God knowing that we too, because we're ancestors of Adam and Eve, that we are all born sinners against God, that we all have the sin gene in our lives, that 
that God has given us the perfect sacrifice, the once and only sacrifice, and his, his name is Jesus. That holy night, Jesus was born. That was only part of the story. Do you realize that? See, what we must do is we must connect that, that Jesus, that Jesus that was promised, the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin, who grew up and lived a perfect sinless life, the one who stepped into our place of atonement. He became our atonement on the cross and he satisfied God's sin and then he raised from the dead three days later and now he is sitting at the right hand of God and he will someday return. We must connect it. Jesus, without Christmas, there could be no cross and without the cross, there would be no Jesus. Do you understand? There would need be no baby. If Jesus was born, even if he was born of a virgin and born in that major on that holy night, if he didn't go to the cross, it would have done no good. He is our sacrifice. He is the one that covers us. He is the one who protects us. He is the one that heals our relationship. He is the one that offers forgiveness. Now, that baby we see at the manger. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 2. And let's see where this joy really comes from. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. According to the angel, Christmas should be good news of great joy, yes? That's what Christmas is. Have you ever experienced a Christmas season where you were just not feeling it? Maybe it's this year. You're just not feeling that joy. You're just not feeling that Christmas spirit. You're stressed out. You're busy to the max. Christmas is just so much work, so why bother? Do you ever think that way? Where? You, you could be with your friends and your family and your neighbors and you could be as lonely as you could be. You could be so anxious and stressed out and annoyed. Have you ever been a Grinch at Christmas time? See, it would have been very easy for the shepherds to whom the angels made this announcement to be Grinches. In the Old Testament, the, the shepherds had a pretty good job. They were revered. But by the time you get to the New Testament, people hated shepherds. They were the lowest of the low. I mean, they always had mud and dirt and dung on them. They always smelt bad. As a matter of fact, it is said that shepherds were such a lowly profession and people of that day that they could not even give uh, testimony in court of law. People hated shepherds. And yet, it is these very people that God sent his angel to to make the greatest announcement in all times. It is to the lowest of the lows. It is to the lowly shepherds that God sent his angel to make this testimony. The good news is for everybody. That's why God sent these angels to these lowly shepherds. The Savior offers new life 
to everybody who will receive. Any, even those who are messed up and don't, can't receive love. It is for his restoration, his love, his forgiveness. It's for all people. It's for angry people and nice people and ugly people and pretty people and sweet people and bitter people and anxious people and poor people and stingy people and wealthy people and black people and white people and Jewish people and Gentile people. It's for educated and for uneducated people. God's restoration, his redemption is for all people. Jesus came to bring joy to all people. And that's good news, of great joy, isn't it? Do you know what the Greek word for joy is? It's right there on the screen in front of you. It's spelt mu, epsilon, gamma, alpha, sigma. And what does that spell? The class, everybody say it at once. What does it spell? Mega. That's where we get our word mega from. That is our word, mega. You know what it means? It is, it's exceedingly large, loud, mighty, grand. It's a superlative of the greatest degree. Jesus coming into this world in human flesh is mega joy message. Did you know that? It is a mega joy message. And this message is both universal, meaning it's for anyone who will receive it, but more importantly, it is personal. You see what the angel says there? I bring you, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you, Sally and John and James and Brenda, I bring you good news of mega joy. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone? Have you give your life to him? This good news of great joy is for you. I want you to see how Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 3. He writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see what it says? But is patient toward you. God is patient towards you. See, like the angel, Peter tells us that good news of great joy is both personal and universal. Now, when I say universal, I'm not talking about universalism where everybody's gonna go to heaven when they die. Jesus refuted that when he was on the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking about the, 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 the wide road and the narrow road. He said there's gonna be this wide road. It's gonna be filled with people. And where is they going? They're going to destruction. They're gonna spend a lifetime uh, times infinity in a place called hell. But he says there's this narrow road. There are only a few who are going to be on it. But those few that are on that narrow road, they will spend a lifetime of affinities in a place called heaven with God's forgiveness and love and restoration and redemption. The point is, more people will die separated from God than people who will die in his forgiveness. And what a sad thing that is. So Peter says, God is patient with you and wishes not wishes for you not to die spiritually. God is patient with you. 
I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. Maybe you haven't begun it, or maybe you're as mature as the Apostle Peter here. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk, but I can tell you that God is patient. And if you have not started your spiritual walk with God, if you haven't put your faith and trust in him alone, let me tell you that God's patience will someday relent. There will be a day where he will not be patient anymore. And can I tell you, I... I can't tell you the exact date because it's all different for all of us. But there is a date in mind that God has already set that his patience will wear out and it is the day you will die. And I don't know that date. You don't know that date. Only God knows that date. The Bible tells us that it is appointed for man to die once and only God knows when that time is. So his patience will run thin one day. So if you have not found that joy, if you have not found that peace, if you have not found that hope in God and him alone, let me tell you to do so today because his patience is not forever. Because you and I will not live forever, not on this earth. God is patient. And I would love for you, for everyone to just look for just a moment. If you're waiting for God to do some miraculous event, if you're waiting for God to come and sit down on your bed and talk to you, if you're waiting to read some book or to talk to some other religion, if you're waiting for something before you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me just tell you, the wait is over because the miraculous has already happened and it came in the form of a baby on that Christmas night. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the only one that can bring you good news of great joy. The angel come from God with a message of God. Therefore, joy, before it is anything else, is dependent upon what God has said and what God has done for us. In other words, joy is tied to us realizing and embracing the fact that God sees us, that he speaks for us, that he attends to our greatest needs. The joy that God has for us is a resulting of abiding trust in God and Jesus Christ and him alone. Do you have that kind of joy this morning? The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for a savior is born. And you may ask, what do I need to be saved from? Well, we need to be saved from sin, from the Satan. We need to be saved from physical death. And that baby that was born in the manger that grew up to be a perfect human being who died on the cross for our sin, that same person is the Son of God who is 100% God, who stepped up and is the Lamb of God, who took on the, uh, the anger and the... the the wrath of God for our sake. Have you put your trust in that, Jesus? There are some of us sitting in this room that needs to trust Jesus today. For the very first time, we need to say, yes, Jesus. I need your joy. I need your forgiveness. I need your redemption. I need that fellowship to be restored.
But there's also some of us in this room this morning that walked into this place and there is no joy to be found in your heart. Well, maybe you right where you're sitting when we stand in just a moment for the invitation time, maybe right where you're you just need to say, God, there is no joy and I need that joy back in my life. I have a relationship with God, but that joy is gone because you're not living and loving and walking with Jesus the way you should be. Put your trust back into him. Put your faith back into him. Walk with him. Then maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to, to join the church. Maybe there's someone here that, that just needs to say, hey, I, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry. If you truly want joy in your life, it first starts with a relationship with Jesus and it ends with us walking with him on a daily basis. Do you have that kind of joy? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus, who is our joy. He is our hope and our peace. And we pray, God, that whatever you want to happen right now would happen and that we would be obedient and that we would follow you even during this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together and sing.